Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thank you all for being here. I hope this show is finding you healthy, safe, and sane wherever you are in the world. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Anita Vogel to the show. Anita is a correspondent and anchor for the Fox News Channel, as well as an actor, voiceover artist, moderator, and host. A graduate of the University of Southern California with degrees in both broadcast journalism and political science, Anita spent 10 years as a full-time anchor and correspondent at Fox. As a contractor today, she flies all over the country delivering content for multiple news outlets. As an actor, you may have seen her on 911, The Last Ship, and Rosewood. She is based in Los Angeles and often lends her time to charities and community organizations as a host and speaker, most recently co-hosting the Ronald McDonald House annual charity event. For the last year, she's been co-hosting alongside Julie Chen and others, a passion project called God 101, which you can only access on Instagram at Julie Chen Moonves. And you'll be able to find that link on this page. She is a wife and mother to her daughter and three adult stepchildren. And I am thrilled to have her on the phone with me today. Welcome to the show, Anita. Hello, Nick. How are you? And thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to have you here. We met through a mutual friend, John Lockhart. And it was really lovely that you agreed without entirely knowing what you were getting yourself into to come on my show. <laughs> I try to be spontaneous. I don't always succeed, but, uh, but, but you and I have been talking about this for a number of months now. So the spontaneity has kind of gone away, right? Yes, that's right. Yes. Well, and that is all on me. Uh, my life has, uh, as many people's lives have gone, uh, they've gotten crazy and things get pushed, but I am so glad you hung in there with me so that we can be doing it. Uh, together here today. So real quickly, I had a kind of general question for you before we get into the meat of the show. And this is like, it's kind of softball-y, but honestly, it's something that's quite curious to me about someone in your position. What kind of news are you most excited about reporting and what news is the most difficult for you to report? And I, I'm curious about that because I imagine you're, you're trained or you spend a great deal of your training trying not to have emotional reactions to the things you're, you know, reporting to us, right? Right. I mean, you you never really want to make yourself the story. So you always try to report something in a measured way. And you never want to show whether you have a bias towards one side or the other. But I do think, you know, we are all human. And so I do think it is natural to show emotion if you are reporting a story that is emotional, that involves something heavy like like death or something something happy something that uh, brings you to tears of joy so you know try not to cry on the air <laughs> right but I, but i do think it's okay to show emotion um as far as what kinds of stories are my favorite to report well i always love those really interesting good news human interest stories and i'm always looking and trying to seek those out i tell you i live for those stories I mean, I feel like they give me an opportunity to spread some good news, to lift people up a little bit, to shine a spotlight on some organization that's doing good work. That's why I got into this. But I also love, you know, covering entertainment and politics. I also love that, too. As far as what the most difficult stories are, they're, they're definitely the ones where someone has experienced a tragedy, you know, loss in a fire loss in some sort of a an act of crime, um, someone who has died, and you have to talk to family members. It's excruciating. You, you don't want to feel like you're exploiting them. You're so appreciative to them that they're giving you their time and willing to be interviewed and be on camera. But you really, you have to be so sensitive because you are meeting someone at the worst moment of their life. Um, and those stories, I think, are very, they're very difficult to report. Do you have an example that stands out for you of one of those moments where you were caught unexpectedly with an enormous amount of emotion because of something so poignant or so so gripping in the moment or so moving where you surprised yourself that this happened live? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I, I would say just a small example that I can think of because it happened very recently I was co-anchoring a show and we were showing a clip 
of a trial, and I won't mention the trial because it was recently in the news, where there was testimony from the defendant on the stand, and she broke into tears giving her testimony and explaining her defense of this situation where someone had been murdered. Mm. Um, and it was it was her fault. And when we came, came out of the clip and came back to me on set, I was so taken by her testimony. You know, I just, I wasn't in tears, but I, you know, I was just like, I really was listening and paying attention and watching it and I was so moved by it. And I was surprised that I allowed that, you know, to be shown. Wow. Um, but that was my real, that was my real emotion from it. Wow. So you, you, against your better judgment, you became uh, an audience member while you were live. Yeah. And I, you say against my better judgment and again, yeah, I think you should keep your emotions in check, but I do think it's natural when you're watching something so emotional uh, to have a reaction. Yeah. But I was surprised at how how strong my reaction was. You know, over the years, before I came to Fox, I worked for many years in local news all over the country. And, you know, in local news, you cover more local fires and shootings and domestic incidents. And I'm sure there were times when it was very emotional. I just remembered something as I was talking. Yeah, please. I don't know if you remember, there was a big story in the late 1990s about this family and they had an exchange student with them and they took the exchange student, was from South America and they went to visit Yosemite. And while they were there, they were staying in a motel and they were killed. Uh, by by a handyman. It was a huge, huge story. Oh, my. And I was covering that intently. And that one, oh, my goodness. I mean, you know, all the reporters were crying covering those press conferences because it was just so tragic. Oh. So, you know, members of the media are certainly not immune to feeling emotion. But, you know, I think, you know, you just do the best you can to be professional. Well, I appreciate you sharing all that. That's welcome insight. And it's interesting. But man, you know, the tragic stories that exist in the world is, uh, is so eminently and perpetually shocking and disturbing. <laughs> it's just a terrible well, story. Uh, your audience may be familiar with that story. The murderer's name, and he was convicted, was Kerry Stainer. Hmm. Um, it was a huge, huge story. So I'm sure someone listening out there will remember that. Oh. Well, Anita, we're right in the pocket of where the show wants to be. It's deep. It's emotional. We're already there. So what I like to do at these moments when I've got it all, the, the wheels are greased, I like to ask you about breakfast. So what'd you have? <laughs> what'd you have for breakfast this morning, Anita? Oh boy. Okay. Well, uh, this is going to be disappointing. It's pretty bland, but- uh, All breakfasts are welcome. Okay. All right. This is pretty bland. Like I said, but my normal go-to breakfast is a hard-boiled egg and a frozen waffle. So there you go. And sometimes- Sometimes I have it just with butter, and other times I add jelly. Now, this morning I did add some blackberry jelly, so it was especially good. Oh, good. So you jelly the egg, and then you... No, 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 <laughs> I'm no, just no, kidding. No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I salt the egg. Okay, very good. Oh, you allow yourself some salt. I, That's nice. Yes, jelly the waffle. Yeah. <laughs> I love a hard-boiled egg. I often do hard-boiled eggs. So you, this is not bland. This is exciting to me. No, I'm sorry. It is bland, but it's also exciting. My wife, uh, as some of my listeners know, uh, is someone that loves to eat. So she's in food photography, uh, and she oh, wow. loves food. And she often says to me, I can't believe how many meals you waste because to her, every meal is an opportunity for something exquisite in her day. So she rarely allows herself something as bland as just a hard boiled egg. And, uh, I live oh, off those wow. types of things. I'm all about that oatmeal and, yeah. and uh, granola and hard boiled eggs. That's how I get by. Um, Anita, this is the moment. How and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? Oh, such an interesting question. So for me, it was pretty young. First of all, I grew up in an Armenian family, an Armenian Orthodox family, although we were not huge churchgoers. Christianity is, is basically equivalent with being Armenian. Um, Armenia was the first nation to declare Christianity in 301 AD. So oh, wow. I, this is awesome yeah. history. I'm sorry. I'm stopping you because I just want to tell you 
how excited I am to hear this. So please continue. Expand okay, on this. Well, Don't rush by that. Well, I, I taught you something new. This is great. I love it. So yeah, so, you know, grew up in a God-fearing family, of course. But that really was not, that alone wasn't enough to really introduce me to what Christianity really was. That happened when I was in the fifth grade. I was attending Bethel Lutheran Elementary. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was in San Fernando Valley. And my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Campbell, was a devout Christian. And she taught the entire class about the concept of inviting Jesus into your heart and letting him be your Lord and Savior. And she said, Jesus will be knocking at the door of your heart, and all you have to do is open the door and let him in. And, you know, I think the whole class was like, yeah, let's do it. You know? so, <laughs> sure. So I'm still friends with a number of people from that class today. And, you know, we all became Christians in that class. Now, of course, over the years, things happen. You know, you become a teenager, you go to college, you get busy with your life. You, you, you put your Christianity, you put Jesus on the shelf, right? And then, then you take him off the shelf and you bring him back into your focus. So I think that's sort of what's happened to a lot of us. But in terms of really being introduced to the concept of Christianity, it was in that fifth grade class with Mrs. Campbell. Wow. I just, for my listeners that aren't from Los Angeles, I just want to kind of mention that San Fernando Valley is, is in the Valley of Los Angeles. Were your parents, were they born in Armenia? No. So my mother was a hundred percent Armenian, but she was born in New York. My grandmother was born in Turkey. So there was, a, there was a large, there still is a large Armenian community living in Turkey. So she came from Turkey. Uh, my father was, he was Jewish. His family came from what would be sort of like present day Ukraine. I've tried to trace the roots and that's what I've that's what I found. Um, I don't know too much about my father's family because he died when I was just a baby. Oh. And so there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't really anybody for me to tell me about the family history. So I have an interesting combination. My mother was 100% Armenian. My father was Jewish. So I guess you could say we had persecution on both sides, right? There was the Armenian genocide. There was the Holocaust. So I have kind of an interesting background. Yes, yes. One more publicized than the other, right? So one of the things that I was going to ask you about, I'm so glad you set me up for, was how much has the Armenian genocide been a part of your everyday living. It's something that as someone that is an Angelino, I should say an adopted Angelino, I'm from Nebraska. I didn't, I moved here 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I saw the many cars flying Armenian flags to remind people, Hey, the genocide hasn't been recognized by the United States yet. And that's something that happens annually in remembrance of that genocide. And I was wondering how much a part of that was your upbringing? Oh, well, certainly, you know, very much. And by the way, it was recognized um, last year. I, I was going to mention that, right? This was just finally yes, the culmination yes. has just happened. Right, right. So, you know, the president, President Biden issued a proclamation. I, I think it was a statement, but nonetheless uh, recognizing the Armenian genocide, which was huge for the Armenian community because they had been looking for that recognition for forever, right? Um, my grandmother was a survivor of the Armenian genocide. Wow. So I, yes. Yeah, so I heard she was very young. She was born in 1904, which would have made her what 11 in 1915 when this was all happening. But she, she had stories of different things that happened um, and how they were able to survive. It's actually a very interesting story. Maybe that's another podcast we do. Sure. But so, yeah, yeah. So, so the genocide has been, you know, a part of my awareness, you know, my entire life. But I will say this, and of course, it is a wonderful thing that the president recognized it and it, it is all for the good and it needs to be recognized so that it will never happen again. But I want to say this, and I have had many conversations with my Armenian friends about this that while it's wonderful that it was recognized and all good there, Armenians, I don't think they should just only want to be known for the genocide because Armenians are such an interesting culture. We have so many interesting things that we do, that we're known for, that sometimes I think all people relate the Armenians to are the genocide recognition. 
know, I always think, well, okay, but there, there are other things too. Tell me, tell me one or two things you'd really like now that the genocide has been recognized. What is the other thing you want people to know? They're, they're like, yeah, but they have an amazing pasta dish that's just extraordinary. You know, what is it? What is it? What is it well, that Armenians that that you want people to know about Armenia? That is exactly where I was going. Next. Excellent. Was going to food. food. <laughs> okay, so Armenians love to eat. Okay, I, I, they are they are some of the biggest eaters you will ever find, and the cuisine is so delicious. If you like meat, it's very very meat heavy. But Armenian food is very similar to Greek food, to Persian food. It's a lot of shish kebab and beef and rice pilav and eggplant and delicious salads. And I mean, the food just goes on and on and on. And if you've ever been to an Armenian wedding, you won't eat again for three days <sighs> because all they do at these events is eat. But, you know, I think, look, the Armenians have a rich culture in their cuisine, um, we, they have wonderful wines that a lot of people don't know about because they're very hard to get in the United States. Mm. They're known for their cognac. Uh, again, and I want to go back to uh, their their devout Christianity. They're known for their for their Christian beliefs, and their church goes back so many years. And it's just I've had the opportunity to visit there. It's a wonderful place for tourists to go. There's there are just so many things, and you know Armenians are. They do wonderful carpets. Uh, they're they're very very advanced in the textiles because they've been doing that for years. And it's just you know they are a very very fun loving. They love to have a party and have a good time. And if you are ever invited into an Armenian home, they're going to treat you like you are a family member. They're going to be shoving food in your face all night long. So I don't want you know I don't want the Armenians just to be known as victims, right? because they're they're far beyond that. That's beautiful. Okay, real quickly, and then we're going to go to break. Do you want to drop me like some really amazing Armenian restaurant tips? Oh, you know, there's really only one place. It's called Carousel, and it is the ultimate Armenian restaurant. It is so ornate in there. First of all, the decor is really, you feel like you've, you know, gone into Armenia, but the food is just, it's just incredible. I mean, and it's so much food, of course, but it is a great place to bring visitors or to have a gathering with friends. If you want to try Armenian food, go there. Carousel in Glendale. I love it. I'm going there soon. I'm bringing the family. <laughs> Anita, this is great. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back in a minute. God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Also, if you're listening to this show on iTunes right now, I'd love it if you scrolled to the bottom, hit five stars, and wrote a one to two sentence review. It really does help the show reach more listeners and it means a lot to me because I read them and it's nice to read nice things. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're talking to Anita Vogel. And Anita, I wanted to ask you about something you mentioned in the first segment, which is that your father died when you were just a baby. How did that play into your formative experience as a child? Or how do you look back on that now? And what thoughts and emotions does that bring up to you when, when you think about your father? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. And the reason is because, like I said, I was just a baby when my father passed away. I was 11 months old. So I don't have any memory of him at all. My first memory, I must have been around three years old, was my mother and my grandmother, my Armenian grandmother, who lived with us, telling me that, you know, I didn't have a father, that he, he died. He had, he had died of a heart attack when I was 11 months old. And, you know, of course, you know, you feel sad and, you know, it's hard to understand when you're a kid, but, you know, I never wanted to feel sorry for myself because of that, because I had such a great mom. I had such a great mom and she filled both roles. She really did everything she could to be a mom and a dad. And so I, you know, rather than say, oh, woe was me. Yes, of course, it would have been, you know, lovely to have my father, of course. But I don't want to think about 
you know, that I'm somehow had a lesser experience or a, a not whole experience as a child because I didn't have a dad because I don't feel that way. I feel like I had, you know, a very, a very nice childhood. And fortunately, I mean, I didn't really go without anything. Um, my mom always had a job and we were able to make ends meet. And so that situation, you know, was fine. Now, I will say that because I'm a mother now, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that we are a mother and a father. I'm married, have a husband, and we have a child. And, you know, that we are sort of a nuclear family. I don't, I never take that for granted. Mm. So when you consider yourself as Jewish, the primary line is through your mother's line. My question to you is, how do you experience the part of you that is Jewish from your father's side, both because you're not primarily Jewish because it didn't come from your mother's side, and you're also, you were lacking that influence of being Jewish. So did you have Jewish family in your life? Did you have a moment in your life where you thought, I'm going to dive into this and try to understand it as best I can? That's a really good question. So no, I didn't have any family members from my father's side left, really. Everybody had sort of, there's a few people. I have one one cousin, a first cousin, but she's not really um, practicing, she's not practicing the Jewish faith. So I didn't really have that influence in my life at all. However, I always have felt and do feel a such a reverence for the Jewish faith and the Jewish culture. I just love it. I think it is so beautiful. And in fact, uh, in my career as a reporter, working in local news, uh, specifically when I was working in Jacksonville, Florida, I covered a Passover live. I was Mm. in someone's house doing a live report during their Passover when they were singing the songs and, you know, sharing the food. And it was, I was amazing. So I have such a such a warm feeling for the Jewish culture and the Jewish faith. And in fact, I received so much feedback from the Jewish community in Jacksonville after that report. And that made me feel so good. It made me feel like, you know, I was in touch with my Jewish roots. But, you know, it's funny, even though the Jews and the Armenians have a different faith, they they are so close in culture and they share so many cultural aspects and, you know, if you know anything about those two cultures, they really get along. The Jews and the Armenians have always been very friendly. And in fact, in Israel, in Jerusalem, there's an, there's an old Armenian quarter there. And hmm. the church, the Armenian church that I'm affiliated with in Los Angeles, they orchestrated trips to Israel to visit that Armenian quarter. So there's a lot of synergy there, even though the religious beliefs are different. There, there just is a lot of synergy. And, you know, maybe one day I'll have an opportunity to explore my Jewish roots more. I hope so. But for now, you know, I have just a little bit of knowledge about it, but I certainly appreciate it. Oh, that's lovely. So then where is the next major, if we go back to the young you who accepted Jesus into your heart in the fifth grade, where do you go from there that is the next most important life experience that broadened your spiritual horizons or felt like it was monumental to you in some way throughout your teen years or maybe early 20s? So I can't say that I'm the most regular churchgoer and have not been over the years. Um, My career has taken me to many different cities and in news, you work on weekends and you work nights and you work holidays. And so I did all of that. I go to church on occasion Uh, when I can. So I cannot say that over the years I've been a regular churchgoer. But what has stayed with me from that fifth grade class is the concept that my belief in Christianity, God, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus dying for our sins, has provided me with a moral compass. And that is the moral compass that I use to make all of my decisions in life. I basically ask myself a simple question. Whatever it is that I'm about to do or thinking about doing, first of all, would Jesus do it? And secondly, 
how does this glorify God? Is this something that God would want me to do? And then I pray about it. And there are, you know, certain Bible verses that I learned from Mrs. Campbell and along the way. And I like to read a lot of Christian books and devotionals that, you know, they really help me. They guide me throughout my life. And, you know, I really don't know what I would do without them. I don't know how people make decisions without thinking about their their moral compass and, you know, how, how God would view those decisions. And I know people don't believe in God, but then it's hard for me to understand how they, it's hard for me to understand how they, they navigate their life, I guess. Have you ever run into a situation where you had to work with someone or communicate with them on a deep level and you felt like, oh, wow, this person's moral point of view is just entirely separate from mine and this is going to be a challenge? Well, sure. I mean, I have some family members like that. <laughs> yeah, so, right. Well, we, we everyone, know, we that's, that's, that's members. the joy of family. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, sometimes you have to make family decisions about things or you have to have heavy discussions about things. And you know, that person is operating from a different set of principles. So you just do the best you can and, you know, ask God to guide you and ask God to guide them, even though they don't believe in God. Right. Um, and you just try to get through it. And the same thing, I think we've all had coworkers over the years that you, you don't get along with, you don't agree with, but you have to find some common ground to accomplish goals. So you just have to do the best you can and you have to make compromises. You can't always be in the driver's seat. Um, you just have to do the best you can to get along to get the work done, when it, whatever it is. Something you mentioned to me um, off the recording here was that your mother died in 2016. What was that experience like? I can only imagine how painful that might be and also how impressionable that must have been for you because she was your only parent that you knew. And so one question is, can you tell me about that experience and what would you like to tell me about that experience and also how it relates to your spirituality? And two, was it challenging for you when you mentioned these family members in your life to navigate that experience alongside other people that you were struggling with, uh, how to adapt or how to respond to that situation? Yeah, of course it was, you know, it was very sad when my mother passed away, but she was 89 and oh, okay. she had lived a long life and, you know, had come to some health struggles at the end of her life. So, you know, in, in one way, while you, you'd give anything to have more time with your parent, the sort of um, the common sense part of me said, you know what, my mom is going to a better place now where she's not going to have these health struggles and difficulties on a day-to-day -day basis anymore. Something very interesting happened the day after my mother passed away. So my mother mm. passed away in the hospital, uh, very in the middle of the night. And I, I missed her passing by 10 minutes. Mm. Um, so when I got there, she had already passed. So the interesting thing was the next day I went to her house, the family house where I grew up and I was standing in the house and I was by myself. And, you know, when your parent passes away, it's very strange. Like, even though logically I knew my mother went to heaven, I couldn't quite figure out like, well, where is she? You know, she's not here. So where is she? You know, it just, you can't really make sense of it in the first 24 hours. <clears throat> so I was in the house. And somehow I felt led to this bedroom where she kept a jewelry box. So I found myself walking into this bedroom and going straight over to the jewelry box. Again, I don't know why. And I opened the jewelry box and I kind of fiddled through it until I found this little, it's sort of like, um, it's an old style thing they used to have in the 60s. It's like a little a viewfinder. And it's very small. It's like the size of a finger. And you look through it and there's a picture at the end of it. And when you look through it, the picture is big. So at the end of this picture, the end of this tube was a picture of my mom and my dad when they were so young. They must have been just married. And I don't know that I had ever seen the picture before, wow. but that is where I was led. And so when I saw that picture, I knew immediately. That was a sign from my mom that she was reunited with my dad in heaven. I mean, there was no question in my mind. Wow. How beautiful. 
And it really happened just like that. I am not embellishing. I'm not making it up to make this podcast more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I could use the help. I mean, but uh, no, I no, that is beautiful. Uh, That's beautiful. Okay. Who was the first person you shared that with? My husband. So did you, did you just like call immediately or, or was it, did you sit with it for a while? I know I sat with it for a while. I definitely sat with it for a while and took it in and took in like the gravity of that. Like the head, like what? I had never seen that before. And what led me to the jewelry box? I have no idea, but I just felt this pull to go over there and look. And, you know, remember at the time in my mind, I was questioning where, where did, where is my mom? Is she in heaven yet? Is she still in the house? Like, where is her spirit exactly? That's what I was pondering at the time when I was led over to that jewelry box. So imagine that. I love it. I love that stuff. That's great. I live for that stuff. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's great. That's great. So yeah. Do you get to, did you get to keep that or did, is that something you had to give to a different sibling? No, no, I haven't. Oh, that's nice. I was nervous. I was nervous. I was nervous that somebody else got to keep it. Yeah. You're like, I'll give everything else away. I I get to keep that. I either shared the story with the sibling or showed the sibling, but uh, no, I kept it. Oh, that's nice. What a beautiful, what a beautiful treasure to keep for your own family. Okay. So tell me about that family. How'd you meet your husband? When'd you have your daughter? What was it all like? Tell me something fun about that. Well, let's see. So I met my husband on a blind date. I love it. I met my wife on a blind date. Did you really? Yeah, they're not easy. They're like, those aren't super common stories. But I mean, you know, they happen, but it's hard to really land with someone on a blind date. But anyway, that's good. It is. It is. And we didn't land on the first date, actually. (laughs) Okay, tell me about that. So I was set up by my fitness trainer who I had been working out with for about four years. Nice. You know that this person's going to be hot. If this fitness trainer (laughs) sets you up, you know, it's like, okay, this person's going to be hot. I love it. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So he says to me one day, he says, um, Hey, Anita, he goes, you know, do you, do you want to be set up with somebody? And I said, what you you have someone you want to set me up with? I go after four years we've been working out together, and now you want to set me up with someone? <laughs> and he said, "Well, he said, you know, I have this former client, and he was married before, but you know, I recently saw him, and he's getting a divorce." And he goes, "I don't know." He goes, "I just think that you you guys would hit it off." And I said, "Well, why do you think that?" I go, "What what is it about this person that you think I would like?" And he goes, well, he goes, I know you like tall guys. And I said, okay. He goes, so he's tall. I said, okay, that's good. And he said, and he's smart. I know you like smart guys. And, you know, he went to Yale. So I think he's pretty smart. And I said, all right. You know, I won't hold that against him. So, um, yeah. So he set us up and we went out on a blind date. And, you know, it didn't really, we met for a drink. It didn't really go that well. I thought he was, I met him. I thought he was, seemed very nice. I thought he was attractive. He was very nice. But in the middle of the date, Nick, okay, this is what he says to me in the middle of conversation in this date. I can't wait. Oh, he says, you know, I don't think there's a compelling reason for people to get married anymore. What do you think? And I was just like, (laughs) oh boy, oh boy. Now, I have to add that I had been married before. Very briefly, I was married for only a year and a half, and it was about five years before this blind date. With oh, my wow. So you both shared having ha- having been married before. His was obviously a more significant uh, length of an experience because he is bringing three children from that marriage. But, Correct. But Correct. Uh, nonetheless, you both were previously divorced. Okay, go on. Yes. So in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, well... I don't even know how to answer that question except to be honest. So I said, well, you know, I said, I've never really thought about that before. I said, um, but what if people want to have kids? Then what, what do they just have kids without being married? I said, like, he goes, yeah, they just, you know, you don't need that piece of paper. And I said, oh, you mean like, like Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn like that? And he goes, exactly like that. And I said, oh, I said, okay. I said, well, how many of your friends do that? And he, he couldn't come up with one. And he's like, well, well, you know, he goes, I, I don't know. He goes, but I'm just, you know, I'm just talking about the concept. 
And I said, well, I said, like I said, I said, I have never thought about it before, but I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll think about it and let you know. And I moved on to the next subject. So <laughs> then when his phone rang about 30 seconds after that, he stepped out to take the call because it was his nanny. And he came back and he said, oh, I'm so sorry. My, that was my nanny on the phone, my babysitter. My daughter is really sick at home. She's, you know, throwing up and she's sick. He goes, I'm going to have to leave. And I'm like, oh, thank God. And um, right, he, said, right. he said, I was really hoping to stay and have dinner. And I'm going, oh, well, clearly you have to go. So, and he goes, okay, well, you know, it was really lovely to meet you. And, you know, walked me out to the car and that was it. And so I just thought, oh, this didn't really go very well. But he called the next day and wanted to have dinner. So uh-huh. I, yeah, I, I, my, so I asked my mom, you know, what do you think? And she goes, well, if you thought you even liked him just a little bit, then go on the date. Because, you know, first dates are really, you can't tell. They're a wash. Everybody's nervous. You can't tell anything. So go on the second date. So I reluctantly went on the second date. And to my great surprise, we ended up shutting down the restaurant. We were oh, having such wow. a good time. Wow. And so from that moment on, we were dating. And of course, he ended up changing his mind about getting married. And <laughs> we even ended up, you know, having our own child. That's lovely. That's lovely. And I also really relish that he has no input on this story right now. This is fully, he doesn't get to defend himself at all about this conversation. (laughs) This is your story. Uh, That's great. That's great. My story is the true story, Nick. Okay. (laughs) We don't really Um, need his input. (laughs) So let me ask you this. Did he also, was he hesitant to have another child because he had three children from his previous marriage? Was he reticent or once you two had, it had become clear that you two had fallen in love. Was it clear that you both wanted to have one together? You know, you know, I'm sure that it was, um, I shouldn't use the word reticent, but maybe um, careful consideration about mm. about having another child for a variety of reasons. And, and I understood that completely, but I needed to know pretty much up front, you know, soon after we started dating, whether that was really going to be uh, something that he was willing to pursue or not, because I definitely knew that I wanted to have at least one child. And so it, you know, became clear pretty early on that he, he became open to the idea and then became completely open to it. And then, you know, fortunately we were able to have a child and now um, that child that we have, she's an eight year old girl. She's just the, I mean, she's the jewel of the family because what she does is she brings together the entire family. Her Mm -hmm. relationships with her siblings are just incredible and, you know, Mark's kids, they just love her to death. They really have embraced her, where, as I can understand, maybe, you know, they would feel sort of on the outside, but they never did. They always felt like they were right there, you know, involved in the whole in the whole family. And, you know, she has just added so much joy to our lives. I can't even, I can't even explain it. Oh, well, I mean, I get that. Uh, I can, I certainly get it from my point of view guys. I have a five-year-old son and he is, he is everything. So I, I get it. Uh, and what's your, sense, what's your, what's your son's name? His name is Harkin. Oh, H-A-R-K-E-N. Yeah. Harkin. What's your daughter's name? Uh, it's Evangeline. Evangeline. Oh yes. yeah. There's a good Matthew Sweet song called Evangeline. Yes, I don't know if you know, know that song. It. We know, we know all the Evangeline songs. Also <laughs> yeah. the, um, Randy Carlisle has an Evangeline song. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good, yes. good, good. Well, that's a lovely story. Um, and I, let me ask one more thing. Was your husband um, a practicing Christian at the time? Or did you, is this something that you have negotiated as a, as a pairing that this was not necessary, but it was, it was important to your life, but not necessarily his? So my husband was brought up Catholic um, and he, he was, you know, went to Catholic uh, mass. And I don't know that he ever went to Catholic school, but he definitely was brought up Catholic, but he doesn't really practice Catholicism anymore. Um, he would definitely identify himself as a Christian. You know, again, like me, he's not uh, a regular churchgoer, but, you know, Mark is someone who, he always does the right thing. 
he has that moral compass. You know, he just always does the right thing. He's so thoughtful of others. And he really carries out Christian principles in his daily life. And that's that's one of the things that I admire about him so much. And he's, again, not someone who reads the Bible every day, but he believes in God. He believes that Jesus is the son of God, believes in the Christian principles. And so I think that's what's really important for me. We have our daughter in a Christian school and uh, she comes home and recites Bible verses, which really right. makes me very happy. <laughs> right. She's, she's, she's teaching you at this point. She is teaching me at this point. Absolutely. Yeah, that's how that works. <laughs> All right, Anita. Well, this is a perfect way uh, for us to end the second segment and then um, set up the third, which is this project that I know is very dear to your heart. Uh, and we will talk more about that after the break. Fantastic. All right, everyone, we're back with Anita in our final segment, and it's time to talk about God 101. So tell me, how did this originate, and what's it been like working on it for the last year, and where do you hope it will go? Yes, so God 101, as you mentioned, it's a show you can access on Instagram at Julie Chen Moonves, and the way this came about was... So Julie and I were college roommates at USC. Oh, no way. Yes, yes. Oh, wild. We both were in the journalism school, and obviously we both went into broadcast journalism. I think everybody knows Julie Chen. So, you know, over the last couple of years, she really started becoming a Christian. And during COVID and the lockdowns, she really began studying the Bible and learning more about God. And she reconnected with two people, a husband and wife, that she used to work with in Dayton, Ohio, in local news. And the husband went on to become a pastor. And they moved to Boston, where he is now the pastor of the Roslindale Baptist Church. And he's also still a videographer at the ABC affiliate in Boston. His wife was a producer, but now she is a deacon at the church. So they reconnected. They helped Julie find her spiritual path. And we all were talking, you know, during the pandemic. And we decided to create a show about the basics of Christianity. And what is it? How do you access it? How can it benefit your life? Simple, simple, simple things. So Julie created a show called God 101. And the show includes Julie, the pastor and his wife, myself, Another uh, journalism school buddy of ours from USC, who is an an anchor in the Austin, Texas market. His name is Walt Makaborski. And most recently, we've added a new cast member. Her name is Molly Hughes. And she used to be an anchor at the station in Dayton, Ohio, where Julie worked with the pastor and his wife. So the thing we all have in common, all of us, is that we are all either former or current journalists. So what are we doing? We are exploring and investigating and reporting on the basic tenets of Christianity. Each show is about 12 to 20 minutes, and we explore topics like, what do you think heaven is like? What do you do when you hit a spiritual wall? You know, we go through topics that everybody goes through, and we try to weave in Christianity. And we really, I think, help people make learning about Christianity and God accessible. We really, that's why we called it God 101, because this is Christianity at its basic level. You know, and I think that we have viewers who already are Christians. We have viewers that may be learning about Christianity. And, you know, we may have viewers that don't even believe in God, but just want to hear what we're saying. But we try to make it entertaining. Uh, Again, we all have a news background, so we have a little bit of a news take on it. And I think it's very interesting and entertaining, and I I really enjoy being a part of it. Can you talk about the inciting moment of the idea? You know, what was it like to to feel, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do a project where I'm going to go out there and talk about my faith every day. Can you talk about that moment? 
Yeah. Um, you know, it was certainly something different for me because as we discussed before as a journalist, you never want to make yourself the story. So you don't talk too much about yourself on the air unless you're making a reference to, oh, you know, I have kids or this or that about my family, whatever. Uh, but this was something totally different. And yeah, I really didn't know how I would feel about it. But, you know, I feel great about it. It's a unique opportunity to be able to do something like this. Obviously, Julie Chen has a huge platform. She has so many fans and followers and viewers from her 20 plus years on Big Brother and her time on CBS News before that. And then she also did the talk for many years. Sure. So she has this unique ability to bring all of these people to watch this show. I mean, I have a few followers, but nothing next to her. And then, you know, our friend Walt, he's got a lot of followers from his years in journalism. And so I think it's a really, it's a diverse audience. And, you know, we're talking about things that affect everybody, whether you're a Christian or not. And we're just putting a, a Christian spin on it. So I really enjoy it. It's really helping me to grow in my faith, um, talking about these things. And the pastor is always giving us Bible verses to read and giving people Bible verses that they can look up to, to help them with whatever situation or difficulty they're going through. He prays for everybody. Um, and, and, you know, we laugh and we have a lot of fun. And because we all know each other so well, um, you know, we, we could basically finish each other's sentences to some degree. And so we love it. Where is it going? I don't really know. Um, let's see. You know, that's the exciting part of it. If it doesn't go anywhere beyond Instagram, I think we're all perfectly happy with that because we enjoy what we're doing and we think we're doing something good. Um, we think we're providing a little bit of a service to people. So um, we'll see where it goes. There's not going to be any great disappointment if it doesn't end up, you know, on the uh, six o'clock primetime, you know, network news, yes. you know? Can you tell me about something where that surprise has surprised you at this stage in the, in the process of doing it? Maybe it's about a particular topic that went a direction that, that was unexpected or something that was revealed to you or you watched someone else have a revelation of some sort? Any story about this that uh, stands out to you? So, you know, the show is a mix of emotion at times. I mean, there's a lot of laughter and joking around, and but there's some real, people share some real raw emotion and stories on there. And so it's always um, surprising to hear people's stories because you think, gosh, I'm struggling with something that that nobody else would struggle with, right? Whatever it is. And then somebody else on the show will tell a story about how they're struggling with the same thing. Mm. So that, that's, that's been a surprise. Um, the other thing that's been a surprise, I think, is that, well, because, you know, I'm so busy um, and a lot of times, you know, we are taping our shows at night or on a Sunday or various times. And sometimes I really have to struggle to fit it in. And yet, when we're in the middle of the show, maybe let's say at a time that wasn't the most convenient for me, I always realize when we're in the middle of the show how lucky I am to get to do this. And, you know, what a real blessing it is and how it's helping me grow in my faith and that it's an honor for me to do it. And even though sometimes it gets squeezed in, I always feel so happy that I did it. Anita, this has been such a lovely interview. I have one more question for you. Um, sure. There's such a positivity to you. I feel it in your energy. And you've mentioned a couple of different times that you live, you use the words you live for raising up hopeful stories or positive stories. And that you're empathic enough to understand and be present with people when they're sad or when there's a great tragedy. And I wonder where are the moments in your days where you maybe find yourself despairing? What things may happen to you or in the world that you sit back and go, woof, how am I going to get out of the chair today? Do you have those moments or is that just not a part of your makeup? 
oh no, I, I definitely have those moments, especially when the weather is cold and gray. And it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, freezing. Yeah, I struggle to go outside. Yeah, no, though, you know, I'm definitely affected. My mood is affected by the weather. But sure, yeah, I have those moments. And then I really have to, you know, reach deep within myself and say, okay, you know, <clears throat> maybe I'm in a challenging circumstance or maybe there are these things going on in the world right now that I don't like. And, you know, there's a lot of divisiveness and it makes makes me unhappy. It makes everyone unhappy. And you you do, you feel a sense of depression around that. So I, you know, I reach into my Christian faith. That is the, that's the only thing that I can reach into. And I just, you know, I think about some of the things that God has left us with in the Bible to read and make us feel better. And I'm just going to share one Bible verse. Sure. Um, and this, this is my go-to verse. This is the one I always think of when I'm having challenging times or trouble. It's Proverbs 3, verse 5. And it says, lean not on your own understanding. In every way, seek God, and he will make your paths straight. It's very simple. It's hard to do. It's very hard to do. Think about what it's saying. Lean not on your own human understanding of things. In every way, you know, seek God and he'll make your path straight. And the verse goes on, but that's the heart of the verse. Mm. So I, I think about that and I think about, you know what? At the end of the day, God has our back. You know, it may not be the, the plan that you set forth in your life and maybe it's going to be a different plan, but that's the plan that God has for you and trust that he's going to lead you down the right road. And that's how I lift myself up. Anita, this was a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your life and your thoughts and uh, your Armenian restaurant hookups. And uh, <laughs> carousel. <laughs> thank you so much. I wish you nothing but the best. I I am I'm very grateful to share this time with you. Thank you for for giving it to me. Well, thank you. And I thank you for what you're doing. Uh, I think your podcast is so interesting. You ask very insightful questions. You really make me think about a few things. And um, I'm wishing you all the best of luck with it. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Anita. And thank you all for listening. 